Before I get into this week's conversation, I want to respond to a question a number of people have asked me about making a one-time payment to the podcast. Although Patreon doesn't exactly allow for a one-time payment option, there is a workaround. Subscribe to the Crude Patreon, and then cancel your subscription once you've received an email confirmation that your payment has been successfully processed. That way, you're only paying the amount you've pledged for one month. You can do this as well as subscribe to the Crude Patreon at www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's patreon.com slash crude magazine. And pick the subscription tier that works for you. Okay, on to this week's episode. In this one, I have a conversation with Kyle Clayton, the owner of Chilkat Valley News in Haines, Alaska. To understand how Kyle ended up in Haines, he starts with the four years he served in the Army. He explains that his upbringing in Indiana instilled in him a feeling of isolation, like the rest of the world and the experiences it held always felt out of reach. That was, until the Army opened up the world to him. Okay, time to give the Crude Company men a shout out. These are the people who have subscribed to the Crude Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber. Seward Brewing Company, Crystal Liska, Derek Adolph, Blue and Gold Board Shop, Sharon Liska, Carly Mortensen, and Alaska Surf Adventure. Thank you to all the Crude Patreon subscribers. This podcast wouldn't be possible without you. Back to Kyle Clayton. When Kyle left the Army, the camaraderie of his friends, and the extreme experiences, he said civilian life made him feel alienated. So he was constantly searching for those extreme environments and battle-born friendships. That's how he eventually found himself in Alaska. Now, as a reporter and the owner of Chilkat Valley News, he does his part in helping to tell the story of Haines, Alaska. So here he is, Kyle Clayton. <laughs> this red light right here, it means we're recording. Okay, fired up. Crude Conversations. Listen more than you talk. Go to work! And we are recording. Kyle, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Cody. So, how's life in the Chilkats? Life's good. We're starting to get a little snow on the mountains here. And uh, I think everyone's excited for snow, or hoping we'll get snow. I don't think anyone is... uh, is reasonably uh, expecting it, but we've had some kind of poor snow years, but you know, there's a lot of backcountry skiers and outdoor enthusiasts here who have been a little disappointed by the lack of snow the past couple winters, but seeing it on the mountain ranges around here is, is exciting. And are you able to get out there and, and experience the mountains pretty often, or do you stay pretty busy at the newspaper? Oh, I stay busy, but I, I I'm able to get out. Um, yeah, I just started getting into backcountry snowboarding. I built a split board with uh, a local company here, uh, Fairweather Ski Works, and they did a program where you could go in with them and build your skiers or boards or whatever it is. And I've got snowboarding background, and so I built a split board with them and have been able to get out. It's great. That's awesome. So what kind of snowboarding are you doing? Well, I'm sticking to pretty, you know, easy terrain just because I'm starting out and I don't have a ton of avalanche awareness. So I only go out with people who I know are much more experienced than me, but, um, there's a place in town that's, it's, everyone calls it, uh, Mulford's and, uh, it's kind of a, a mellower terrain, but has some exciting moments and it's a, just a couple of miles from town really. So we'll park our cars on the side of the road and skin up and come back down. Sometimes you'll skin up one side and come down the other side or yeah, there's an annual race every summer, the Rapinski race, and uh, everybody. There's people who come in from Juneau in Canada, and it's a big race. It's it's pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. Haynes is definitely a destination for sure for uh, for snowboarding. As far as I know, that's that's how I know Haynes. Um, if you're into backcountry skiing and snowboarding, any of the pass, the Haynes Pass, that's just 40 miles north of here too, with some great stuff. 
I can't go into Canada yet because I have a I've got a prior criminal conviction that the Canadians aren't ready to let me across the border yet, but uh, I think that <laughs> ends this winter. So hopefully I can get out there. And what is that that criminal conviction? Uh, so I got in a bar fight. I was in the army uh, for four years and I got out and I uh, wasn't the happiest person for a little while. And I drank too much and I got in a bar fight in the town I was going to college at. And, uh, it's all like off my record now and stuff. But when I was, when I moved from Anchorage to Haines and got to the Canadian border at Beaver Creek, they like patted me down and searched me and were like asking me all these questions. I had no idea what was going on. They're like, what, what happened? Tell us what happened <laughs> seven years ago or whenever it was, it was like in 2008 or nine or something. I didn't even remember. Like I'd totally forgotten, but, uh, Finally, I was like, oh, oh, yeah, I, I got into a bar fight. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we know. And <laughs> luckily, the the paper here, the previous owner, Tom Morfitt, like I was, I was due in like in a day. And I told him I had a job and I had to get to the job and I'm not planning on staying in Canada. So they gave me a one-day pass to, to hightail it through. I could be in Canada for a day. And after that, if I got caught, I was in big trouble. So did they make you recount that bar fight? Yeah, they kind of like they get they I, I don't remember exactly except, you know, the whole they were just trying to get me to to I guess admit what had happened or maybe they they thought that I knew I wasn't supposed to come into the border or come across the border you know with the criminal history that I had, but mm -hmm. uh, um I don't know cuz it all started out I pulled up and they asked me to step out of the car. And then asked me to spread my arms and legs. And then they searched me. And I was like, what's going on here? Is this, is this normal? I had no idea. I'd never crossed the border into Canada before. And then they asked if I had any weapons on me and stuff. And I was like, no, I've got a pocket knife. And it was like, you know, getting patted down by the cops, basically. And then they came and took me to a back room and sat me down and said, what happened uh, in 2000? eight or not, whatever year it was. And I was like, uh, I was just, I drew a blank. I was, I don't know. I don't know what you're, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. And they're like, did something happen? Uh, did you get in some kind of trouble? And I still couldn't even remember. But then I finally was like, Oh, Oh yeah. Yeah. I got, I got into a bar fight when I was in college. And then I, yeah, I did have to recount the story and, and stuff. And then after I told him I was, you know, coming from Anchorage and going to a job that was expecting me, I think they, Instead of sending me back, they gave me that day pass. <laughs> you said that you were in the military. Yep, I served four years, which was my contract. And uh, let's say I served, I joined after high school, so 2003 to seven. And yeah, I was stationed in Germany, Iraq, Kuwait, um, mostly overseas my whole, the whole time I was there besides Fort Benning and Fort Sam Houston in Texas. I had a couple where I went to basic training and what they call AIT was in Texas and Georgia. So you said that after you got out of the military, you, you weren't very happy. What did you mean by that? Well, I, I drank too much. I, I, I miss my friends. Uh, you know, you develop some serious bonds and connections when you're in an environment like the, like the army or any branch. And especially being deployed to in a war zone, you know, I was in Ramadi. I developed some really close friendships and um, kind of some deep connections and had a tribe, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you get out, everybody leaves. It's it's kind of you know it's it's you get become alienated. That's that's what happened to me. I mean, I just didn't we all knew that we were going to, you know, separate and leave. I don't think really we knew what, what that would feel like, especially when you, a lot of us got out, some of us stayed in, but most of us got out and went back to our home States or went somewhere. And it was just so completely different from what we were used to. And you, I, for me, I couldn't really connect with many of my peers. And I did move to Colorado for a year after I got out of the army, I'm from Indiana, but uh, one of my buddies actually, it was in my squad is from Juneau. His name is Aura Pryor. And, and he always talked me into like trying to come to Alaska at some point, but he taught me how to snowboard in Austria. So that's how I learned. And uh, 
so I moved to the mountains after I got out of the army so I could keep snowboarding. And um, just because it's kind of a snow bum. And I moved there with an old high school buddy and we had some good times and it was fun. But I, you know, I, I had a drinking habit and I drank too much and abused alcohol for sure. And uh, that didn't help when I was already feeling kind of lonely and alienated. And uh, like I couldn't really relate with the people around me. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I went to college, that just was even more true because I was with a, a much younger group of people who many of them didn't really know what was going on from, you know, from my perspective. And yeah, it was lonely. And uh, alcohol was one thing I did to, to uh, make myself feel better. And uh, in, in Germany too, we were in this small, small town. It would be like, like a Haynes or a Petersburg or one of these small towns. And there was an army base there. And so it was just a bunch of, a bunch of guys, you know, there are obviously some females, but heavily weighted um, with men and aggressive. We drank a lot. I mean, that's part of the culture I think is drinking. And there were lots of fights, lots of fights in the bars. Violence was just sort of a part of our life. And I had never gotten to a fight or was much of a fighter before the army, but when I was in the army, we definitely, I got in some scraps and it became uh, normalized, I guess you could say. And that's what led to that bar fight in Indiana when I was in college, you know, just some, some guy was kind of starting trouble and uh, I reacted harshly. (laughs) Because that's, that's what you knew at that point, right? That's, it was normal, you know, and I, I was, I was drunk. I had drank a ton of whiskey that night and, I don't think I would have done it sober, but you know, uh, yeah, I just unleashed, unleashed probably a lot of frustration that wasn't from him or, you know, that he didn't deserve, but yeah. So you went to Colorado for a little while and then when did you make your way to Alaska? After I graduated college. So I went back to Indiana where I'm from, um, and moved to the same town that my dad lived in, in Southern Indiana, and uh, went to college at Indiana University, Ivy Tech. Uh, I went to a community college for two years before, but majored in journalism. I, I kind of, when I was in the army, I developed a um, interest and passion for reading and started writing a little bit and uh, wanted to try to continue that and learn more about writing and uh chose journalism because I thought it was the most practical way to make a living as a writer and, uh, finished my degree there and got a job in Bethel actually at the public radio station. I, I interned at a public radio station in Bloomington, Indiana, where Indiana university is and worked there as doing various jobs for about a year and a half, maybe two years. And so I applied to uh, a job at KYUK in Bethel. That's what brought me here. So you went straight from Indiana to Bethel? (laughs) Yep. How was that? Um, Oh, it was, you know, it was a huge change of pace from from life in in Indiana. Um, Culture shock, I would would think. Big time. Yeah, big culture shock. I, I... I talked to people that lived there and worked there a little bit and had an idea of a little bit of an idea of what I was getting into. I was really interested in moving there for, you know, seeing a different part of the world that I just knew was very dissimilar to what most of us are used to even here in Alaska, the other parts of the state, you know, mm-hmm. now that I've been to other places, but I just wanted to be in a place that was different. You know, I, I kind of missed, there's certain parts of the army that I missed, like, when you're in the army, you're in the fringe, the fringes of the world a lot of times. And it's kind of an extreme experience. And I kind of miss that too. And, uh, I just wanted to kind of get thrown into this alien place and, and, uh, learn about it. The stories were exciting. I have to go out to the Yukon and different villages and stuff. And have you always been like that kind of attracted to fringe situations, fringe lifestyles? Um, I think when I joined the army, something was stirred in me that, that wasn't before. Like I was, uh, I I liked punk rock music in high school. I was, I I guess I had a little sliver of a rebellious nature. Um, 
but something when I got into the army and was, you know, in, into the, into the life there, there was something switched in me and I became way more rebellious, you know, in my, and, uh, and I, and I guess I've always liked kind of the, uh, a rush, sort of an adrenaline rush and, uh, and, and trying new things and, and doing things differently. Um, but you know, when I was in high school in Indiana, I didn't really ever think that I could, you know, move to Colorado or just leave or do something that wasn't, um, the, the, like the norm, you know? So like, I, I knew I wasn't ready for college after high school. I, I wouldn't have done well. I didn't care about being educated or, or even knew what I wanted to do. But I also just didn't want to get a job and stay at home and stuff. And I thought the army would just kind of bust me out of that. And then I met people in the army and, and you know, being in Germany. It was, and I realized at that time, wow, I can do whatever I want with my life. I don't have to, I don't have to do anything I, I don't want to do. I could, I could buy a motorcycle and just go on road trips, which I did when I got out of the army. I bought a motorcycle. Actually, I bought it when I was on leave from Iraq. But, uh, and I would... It just the possibilities of life, I didn't recognize them until I was all my freedoms were taken away from me. You know, when you're in the army, you're you're giving up your yourself a little bit. You're mm -hmm. a part of something much bigger and you lose your um, your freedom and your sense of, you know, autonomy and losing that made me really appreciate it. So is it safe to say that the army kind of opened up the world for you? I would say so. Yeah. In a lot of different ways on a lot of different levels. Uh, you know, yeah, I had to confront my mortality. Uh, I had to, um, I got really interested in, uh, I grew up in, my dad was a minister for most, uh, most of my life or when I was about seven, I think he became an ordained minister. And so I grew up going to church. Uh, my parents were divorced, but when I went to, when I spent time with him, I'd go to church and, you know, there was just like, that was the thing you're, you know, Christianity and the small life that I had in Indiana. And I mean, it, I had some great times and my family's great and, but it was a, a small slice of the world and a, a small way to live. And I don't mean that as a, as a judgment. I just mean that it was the one way I knew. And then, yeah, going to a different country, meeting people from wildly different places. Um, you know, different ethnic group. There was Filipino people, you know, uh, people that barely spoke English in the military. So I just, I was exposed to all these different types of people, different places, different points of view, thoughts. I read all kinds of different books and, uh, yeah, it did. It opened, it opened up a lot to me and, uh, it really, it really forced me to think about what I valued too and what was, I, I never thought like, what is a good life? Like, how do I want to live in the best way possible? And I think a lot of that has to do with, because in a war, in a time of war, you know, you think about, you know, your own mortality and how, you know, you could die. And mm -hmm. so how do you make the best of life? And were you writing this entire time while you were in the army? Was I writing? Yeah. I wrote a little bit. Um, yeah, not much. I don't have much to show for it then, but uh, I, I read vigorously. I was a voracious reader when I got into the army, and I not so much before that. <clears throat> what kind of stuff did you read when you were in the army? The first one of the first things I read was actually right before I went to basic training. It was the Tao Te Ching, uh, Lao Tzu, mm -hmm. and that that totally blew my mind because it was like, oh my god, there's this whole different way of looking at spirituality. And uh, I was really attracted to the Tao Te Ching and what it, what it had to say about life, I guess. And uh, so that that was a really, that book influenced me uh, or at least changed my mindset, opened my mind. And then I was a huge fan of Kurt Vonnegut. He's from Indiana and I read almost all his books probably in a few years when I first got in the military. And uh, actually when I was in Kuwait, I wrote him a letter and uh, he wrote me back. No way. Yeah. Uh, Catch-22 was a big book I loved. Um, Steinbeck. Um, I tried reading a bunch of different philosophers. I probably understood about a quarter of what I read, but I definitely dabbled in different types of philosophy. Um, 
again, I, you know, surface level readings, but just, just new thing. I just wanted to learn about new ideas and new, new ways of thinking. Do you mind if I ask what you said in that letter? Oh, to Kurt Vonnegut? Yeah. I think I just, I, I told him where I was, um, what I was doing, some of my, my hesitations about the war in Iraq and my, my own moral conflicts, ethical conflicts. I didn't, I was kind of unthinking, you know, when I first joined the military. I joined because I think for a lot of different reasons. I don't think I had one reason, but I didn't know much about the war in Iraq when I joined. I didn't give it enough thought. And the more I was, the longer I was in and the more people I talked to who had been there and uh, the more I saw, I guess, the more I started to question its its value or, or why we were there, or why any of us would were doing it. And uh, I kind of went into that very briefly in that, that letter that I wrote. But, you know, he was obviously a, um, a critic of of war and um of what our leaders get us into a lot of times and uh yeah yeah that was basically a summary i can't remember any any exact phrases or words but he sent the po the thing he sent back was a postcard of um that tombstone from breakfast of champions there's a lot of pictures in that book and uh, one of them was this tombstone that says life is no way to treat an animal and uh he sent a postcard with that image and uh, maybe two paragraphs written, you know, basically, I don't know what I remember from what he wrote was that, yeah, this is life. It's kind of shitty sometimes <laughs> was basically uh, <laughs> how he responded. Uh, how did that feel to get that? It felt great. It felt great. I mean, he was my hero at that point. He, I wanted to write just like him. I wanted to... Um, express my thoughts in the way he expressed them. He was so, he was so creative. Like there were stories within stories in his novels. And I just, every word of his, I just soaked up and, uh, Oh, it was amazing to get that. So you're in Bethel mm -hmm. and you eventually made your way to Anchorage, right? Before Anchorage, I went to Petersburg. Okay. Yeah. I got a job at a newspaper in Petersburg. Um, I worked there full time for a year and I kept seeing the fishing boats going in and out and Petersburg's a big fishing town. And, uh, yeah, probably similarly to what drew me to Bethel or any of the other things I've done is I really wanted to see what commercial fishing was like. And there was the, there was the, uh, draw of the money that you can make, of course, but I guess I wanted to, uh, I always want to, I always want to be in it, you know, being a reporter is sometimes hard because you're interviewing other people about, uh, cool things they're doing or, or other people's experiences. And I really love the idea of just going and doing a thing, you know, and, uh, I really wanted to, to try it out. It seemed like if I'm going to live in Southeast Alaska and in Petersburg, I got to try commercial fishing or else I don't feel like I really lived in that place. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I got my first job on a troller. And I also had a potential for a book deal at the time. When I got out of college, I wrote a essay about my, some of my experiences in the army and it got, it won an award. It won a, uh, it was like a collegiate contest. It was called the uh, William Randolph Hearst Awards or something. It won like a first place prize. But um, do you remember what those stories were about? Yeah, well, um, it was sort of, uh, I had written a lot of, I had turned a lot of my experiences into fiction. And so I was, I was writing short stories about things that had actually happened to me, but I wrote them in with fictionalized characters and stuff. Uh, and one of my professors, Tom French, um, we were doing a, our semester project and he was, we were talking about what I might write. And I, I was, he asked me if I had written anything about my military experiences. And I told him about the fiction that I had written and he, he read it and said, you know, this is, you got to write about this. So he kind of helped me piece together and, and these disparate threads. But, um, a lot of it was the, the title of the, the story was, um, oh gosh. Uh, I can't remember, but the, the, I could look it up, but anyway, um, the kind of the climax of the story was I was sitting in this, uh, gun nest on the Euphrates river in this, um, observation post, we called them OPs. And, uh, 
a couple nights before that, a couple of my buddies were up there and a, what we think was a sniper round went right next to their heads. And, uh, it was my turn up there and I was just thinking, Oh my God, you know, I'm just sitting up here. I'm like a sitting duck any minute. I could, it could just be over. I'd be snuffed out like that. I wouldn't even know it. And, uh, it's just, you know, I was just tense and it was, I just, this one night I was just, I couldn't get that out of my mind and it was just extremely stressful, but that is, you know, you live with that quite often, but it's for some reason that night, having, knowing that a sniper had just fired around, it was just hitting me more heavily. And, and then I hear my, <laughs> I hear my buddy down below me, uh, zipping duct tape around all the seams in his, his uh, uniform because the mosquitoes were bad. And he was just like cursing the mosquitoes. And I looked down, he was just like covered in duct tape. And I just started laughing my ass off. I mean, it was just, it just broke the tension. It just dissolved. And, and I realized here I am, I'm laughing. This is all I really have is like this moment. I, you have to let it go. You just have to let it go. But, um, and then there was some other, you know, anecdotes and, and things about just what it was like, what some of our missions were. And, but that, that tension was a theme, like that constant kind of tension. But anyway, so the reason I brought that up is because I quit, I quit the job at the newspaper because my professor, Tom, who helped me edit that, um, introduced me to his agent and she read it and, uh, wanted to give me the opportunity to like write a book and try to expand it. And I, I, I never really wanted to write a book about, about my experiences, but I thought, why not? Let me just try. So I quit the job, went commercial fishing, thinking I'd make a, a bunch of money and then I could, you know, sit in a cabin and, and write my book. But I guess I just, I, it didn't, I, I didn't do it. I did. I wrote a, a half-hearted book proposal the fishing wasn't very good. I was on a troller, which don't make a lot of money. And, uh, and I, so I didn't have the money that I thought I'd get. And, uh, and then I just, I couldn't, I don't know. It just wasn't, I guess it wasn't in me to write a whole book about my experiences. I didn't know what I wanted to say. And so I, I kind of went back to the newspaper part-time and, um, and kept commercial fishing. The next summer I was on a saner summer after that, I was on a different center. And then I started going to Bristol Bay and continued to work part-time for the newspaper until I moved to Anchorage. And so what did you do in Anchorage? In Anchorage, I freelanced for, uh, the Anchorage press and I wrote a couple stories, maybe two or three stories for the, um, at the time, the Alaska dispatch. And I substitute taught, I was trying to get a job, more full-time job at, at one of the um, at the Alaska Dispatch. That brings us to you being in Haynes at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, I was in Anchorage for maybe six or seven months, uh, doing that freelancing and substitute teaching. And then I was just getting impatient there and didn't really want to keep sub subbing. Subbing's tough. I subbed for a while. And, um, I think that if anybody's listening to this, if you are new to subbing, Go to a school around where you live or a school that you've heard of uh, that's a good school with a great staff, uh, a cool principal, and try to stay there <laughs> because getting shuffled around to random schools is very difficult. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I've i always kind of liked kids or gotten along with kids and can be playful and stuff, but I've never wanted to drop kick a kid until I started subbing in Anchorage School. <laughs> <laughs> but uh luckily i got a, a few like good long-term sub jobs and those were always more satisfying getting to know the kids and stuff for sure yeah but i was at fairview a lot and that was pretty fun um because i was there for a long time and got to know kids of all the different grades and like started a chess club there with some of the kids that was pretty cool that's awesome yeah but no, when you're like just a, a one-off you know you go to a school for the day it's like man i watched like a first grader two first graders like getting a fist fight. I was like, Oh my God. Kids are ruthless, dude. I remember my very first sub job, um, was, uh, I won't say where it was, <laughs> but, but I, I went into the classroom and, uh, waiting for, you know, all the, all the kids to show up. And I think it was like third or fourth grade. 
And um, this one student shows up and I think he, he must have been like, you know, the troublemaker, right? And he comes in and he just picks up his desk and he throws it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When that happened to me, when those kids started fighting, I just like froze. I was like, okay, is this real? It's crazy because you can't, um, you're not allowed to get in between them. You know, there, there are, yeah, yeah. So you have to just (laughs) let them duke it out (laughs) (laughs) or, you know, like, um, get the disciplinary teacher or, you know, whoever's responsible for, uh, breaking them up. And then that person shows up and usually the fight's over by then. And yeah, I was, I felt lucky that I couldn't touch. There was a couple of kids. There was like, I, I don't think I could take that kid, you know, even like a second grader sometimes. <laughs> okay. So, um, let's see, are we in Haynes yet? <laughs> uh, let me see. We got to Haynes cause yeah, I was in Anchorage kind of like impatient from different kind of work. And I knew, so Tom Morfitt used to own the Chilkat Valley News before me, and he had offered me a job there a couple of years before that. And I just checked in with him to see what was going on. He's like, oh yeah, come down. I'll pay you $25 an hour. He got, he had gotten elected to the Bureau Assembly and uh, desperately wanted to get rid of the paper because he was on the assembly and owning the paper. And it was a big, uh, big controversy. And he had hired a few different people to kind of run it. Uh, while he was on the assembly, but yeah, he needed someone. He, he really wanted to sell it. And I, I didn't like move there. I moved there thinking maybe that was an option, but I really just wanted some full-time work in reporting too. Mm-hmm. And $25 an hour is a damn good salary for, or a good hourly wage for a reporter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just went and thought, eh, maybe, you know, maybe buying the thing would be an option. Let me see how I like Haynes or even if I could even do it, you know? So other than knowing that Haynes is a big snowboarding destination, like I mentioned earlier, I don't really know much else about Haynes or the things that affect the people who live there. Um, What kind of stories do you think are important for the Chilkat Valley News to cover? Important stories. Well, the the biggest issue right now probably is a mining exploration project that's about 35 miles north of town. Uh, there's a Canadian exploration company called Constantine that's here and they've been exploring for a long time. Um, but there's, you know, there's uh, Haynes to me lacks like in Petersburg, it was a fishing town. Everybody knew it was a fishing town. If there was going to be a mine proposed there, they, everybody in that town would come out against it, you know, because they don't want to have anything there that would affect fishing. Mm-hmm. Haynes doesn't have like one thing that people can get behind. There's a fishing fleet here and it's a, it's a good fleet. And uh, there's a, the tourism industry, which is uh, pretty significant. And there's the school system and the, and the borough government and stuff, but it doesn't have anything to rally around, I guess. And it's not like every town has that, but I, I'm saying all this because there's a huge division in this town. Like there's people who think, you know, the mine's going to come and, we're going to be jumping in piles of gold like Scrooge McDuck, you know, it's like <laughs> mine at all costs. There's another group of people who it's a zero sum game. Like there's no way there should, there could be a mine here, you know? And there's, there's these, these two factions that uh, are at each other's throats quite often. And how many people live in Haynes? It's a town of 2,500 people, um, you know, not including summer, the summer influx. So it's small. It's small. It does not feel small. There's just seems like when I was in Petersburg, there were slow weeks, you know, here it just seems like there's rarely ever a slow week. There's always some hard news story that that needs to be covered. Um, People are really politically active in this town. One of my first nights here, I went to somebody's house. They brought me over to kind of like a small house party. And this kid who's our age had the U S constitution on his toilet. (laughs) <laughs> and I mean, it's just, uh, it's a very, people are really engaged here. Um, and yeah, there's a lot going on. There's, there's just a lot going on. So how do you handle a delicate story in a town like Haynes where everyone basically knows each other? It's hard. It's hard. You just do your best. You, um, you, you just try to tell the story and get, different perspectives and uh 
be as honest as you can about uh, about the facts that you include, who you talk to. You know, people people get kind of tired of hearing the same voice over and over again. You always have to be careful about who you interview, and you know, any story about the mine is just going to be looked at with a microscope, mm-hmm. and uh, and and lots of other issues too. But yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard to you know because um, Tom Morfitt, the previous owner. Uh, there was, it was so controversial when he, when he ran for the assembly and still in the paper and there's because of a a perceived conflict of interest. Totally. Oh yeah. Um, and, and I think that Tom is a, uh, uh, a figure who, who there's a lot of people who didn't like the way he ran the paper. There's a lot of people who love the way he ran the paper, but he's a, uh, he's a person who is kind of one of those, you love him or hate him kind of guys. And, uh, people, there's a lot of people who just don't even read the newspaper. You know, there's a bar here that you just, you know, when I, when he was giving me a tour of town, he's like, don't, don't, don't go in that bar and tell them you know me or they're going to beat you up. (laughs) Uh, and you know, there's a lot of people who thought he was biased and, um, he wrote a lot of editorial. If you look through the past paper, you'll see, you know, sometimes, sometimes four editorials in one paper that he wrote. And so I can definitely see where some people thought he just, his voice was in there too much, but he's also a good editor, a good writer. He's, you know, there's good and bad qualities about him like anybody else, but suffice it to say, there was a, a lot of people in this town who didn't like the paper, didn't read it, but also a lot of people who loved it. You know, the, there was a reporter, Karen Garcia, who was here for a few years. who was really great. Um, did some great work and, yeah, people are definitely engaged and uh there's still people today who like you know, I was telling you about that Haynes Rant and Rave page. Oh yeah, when we were talking earlier today on Facebook. Yeah. Uh so that page was started just after Trump was elected. I think January 2016. Okay. And uh or wait, I can't remember when, but anyway, um the media wasn't allowed on it. So if you were with the radio station or with the newspaper, you could not be a member of that page. And it was, you know, a lot of bashing. There's bullying on the page, a lot of name calling. And yeah, I think somebody shortly after I arrived, maybe within the six months or something like that, I was, uh, I've been, I was called a uh, liberal transplant mouthpiece for Tom Morfitt or more puppet for Tom Morfitt or something like that. There was rumors that, uh, I just bought the paper to, you know, kind of be a cover for him to still own it, but be on the assembly. There's a lot of conspiracy theories in Haynes. That does seem kind of typical of a small town though, doesn't it? You know, when the, uh, the new person comes in, you know, what's their agenda? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I haven't lived in very many small towns. Petersburg was not like that. I can, Petersburg, at least when I was there, uh, felt very welcoming. Um, There wasn't nearly the uh, strong political divides that there are here. Um, So I think that there was just less conflict and less divisiveness there. And uh, it was way less tribal, Mm -hmm. way less us and them kind of thing going on. Uh, here it's, it's a lot more of that, you know, there's different political camps. They have very different values and those values do not exist together very well. Like what? Um, uh, you know, there's, there's the, the, mostly it's, it's resource extraction is, is a big resource extraction versus, um, environmental protection and conservation. Um, and the the conflict inherent in that so there's people who want economic development at any cost um there's those who you know want are are very careful about wanting to protect this place that we live in and it's it's very it's very it doesn't happen very often where where the two sides can talk about how to make that work because i don't think anyone is going to say, yeah, we don't want to, we, we don't give it, you know, we don't give a shit about the river, mm-hmm. but they just disagree over the way the protections should be put in place, you know? And, and it's, it seems like there's more, um, 
it seems like people attack people rather than ideas a lot of times because it can just it just devolves into that when when you know the people who are very interested in seeing way more economic development in terms of mining and logging uh they don't they just don't perceive that there's going to be as big of a threat to the salmon and the river um that that the people who are more concerned about that do and so you'll have some people saying oh there's just people in hands who don't want anything they just don't want any kind of any growth and they're just they don't want to shut everything down you know and i just the same way they say that is i just i don't see that as as being true or um you know, there's the, there's different geographical areas, you know, there's a place called Mud Bay here mm -hmm. and, it, you know, there's the Mud Bay hippies and there's, uh, that stereotype that if you live out there, you're a, a greenie. And are those the, are they a more liberal? That would be the stereotype. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they're the environmentalists, the greenies, um, the people who want to stop everything chain themselves to a tree yeah that's the kind of <laughs> stereotype for sure yeah yeah um and i think you know i was in one of the press clubs a couple of years ago mm -hmm. and um i can't remember the the name of the name of the man who had retired after like 30 years at the alaska dispatch anchor daily news do you remember that guy charles uh wolferth no he was the arts and culture reporter for the adn oh i'm not sure Anyway, he had a big, they kind of at the press club, they had a kind of a celebration for his, uh, for his, uh, retirement because he'd been in Alaska journalism for so long, but he, I talked to him that night and, uh, he started out in Haynes and he was asking me, he's like, is it still as divisive as, as it was when I was there, you know, 25, 30 years ago. And I was like, I don't know. And I told him, cause right when I got here, there was a recall, there was a group of residents who tried to recall three assembly members and, uh, it was just like fireworks as soon as I landed in Haynes. And uh, so, yeah, I was like, oh, totally. It's very divisive here. Very little trust between these different groups of people and different, I guess you could just call them factions. Do you think that that is a byproduct of uh, almost like willful ignorance? Like I'm not going to educate myself on the other side's politics because I'm steadfast in what I believe. Um, yeah. I think there's some of that. I think, you know, when I moved here and started experiencing what the, the sort of the quality of the discourse that occurred, I got really interested in learning more about uh, like tribal psychology and identity politics. And, you know, after Trump's election, it sure did whip up a frenzy, you know, of on just lots of interesting dynamics. But I was just listening to this podcast yesterday, actually, this woman, Liliana Mason, wrote a book called uncivil agreement or civil agreement. I can't remember the title. Anyway, she was talking about how um, we are just tribal by nature, right? We want to form groups. And uh, once you're in a group, you, you want your group to win. Like she cited this study about how they form these groups and they asked the, the group members, would you want your group and the other group to have $5? Or do you want your group to have $4 and the other group to have $3? And these are just kind of arbitrary numbers, but mm -hmm. people would more often choose $4 and the other group $3 rather than both five because winning was more important. Getting more than the other group was more important. So I think a lot of this stuff in Haynes and, and elsewhere, not just here, has to do with these these identities and these groups and these tribes that we, we think we belong to. When I think it's reinforced in things like, I mean, when you watch how people talk about politics, it's like a sports team. You know, they, they're rooting for their person. Totally. Oh, yeah. It's your team. Exactly. They had another, uh, one of these other studies that she talked about was uh, asking people, um, do they support uh, they would support uh, like background checks for gun purchases. Mm -hmm. And I think it was like 80% of the people said yes. But then, then when they asked the same question a different way, do you support Senate passing a bill that would um, require background checks? Um, I think it was like 30% less people said yes, because it would mean that like the Republican party lost. And, and I don't want to, uh, bring up Republicans, right? Because we all do this. I do it. 
it's our it's our instinct i think to like be tribal like that and to think about the groups that we're in or who we identify with Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's important right now that both sides have a civil conversation with each other and actually listen that's what that question was about where i asked if certain factions in haynes were willfully ignorant because you know they don't want to educate themselves on the other side's politics yeah, I you know I, I have to be careful about what I say. Um, I think we all we all can be that way for sure. And I think the more emotionally invested we are in a given issue, um, and whether it's conserving and protecting this beautiful place that we live in, mm-hmm. or whether it's creating jobs so that people can have a little bit better living, like those are all deeply personal um, and emotional issues, and so it's really hard to um, to climb outside of that and, and be, you know, rational and reasonable and, 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 and listen to arguments, you know, it's just such a knee jerk reaction to, to just fight and, mm-hmm. and go along with the line, you know, there's well, it's, a, it's you primal. Know, it's primal. Yeah, totally. How often do you get like uh, immediate feedback from people? Oh, every, almost every day. Yeah, I, it's, it's, I've gotten a lot of great feedback. I felt really welcomed and uh, people are very appreciative and I've had, you know, the opposite, whether it's calling me the liberal transplant, Tom Morphett puppet, or, you know, that I biasly reported something false or, you know, a lot of it's good. I mean, I like, I want to get feedback and I want to have conversations. There's this great book, The Elements of Journalism, um, that talk about, you know, it's not every profession that has to admit their mistake, like as soon as they find out that they made one, right? Mm-hmm. There's not companies, most companies won't print a correction in their press release, you know, or any politician, but that's what we, you know, ideally try to do. We have to, when we make a mistake, we promptly announce it. And, uh, and I make mistakes for sure. And my reporters have made mistakes. And, and so I, I do want people to, to give me feedback. And, uh, I think oftentimes we're all a little bit right and all a little bit wrong, you know, in the way we perceive things. I like that. I I think that that's, I think that that's pretty true for everybody. We're all a little bit right and we're all a little bit wrong. And I think that understanding that probably helps us get one step closer to understanding each other better. Yeah. Another thing I liked about that book that kind of ties into that too, is that, that this idea of truth and that it's sort of they 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 kind of use the metaphor of a, a stalagmite or a stalactite, how it builds. Like you write one story and then you get some information maybe as a reaction to that story that makes the picture a little bit more complete or a little clearer, and you build on it, and that's how it kind of truth forms itself. It's not just this one thing in this one story. Mm-hmm. And uh it's possible that one story might be more weighted, you know, towards one side, and then as you learn more, you build it and you know, like these little weekly papers or this, you know, telling the story of these towns and, uh, and especially in such a small newsroom when you have like, you know, me and one other reporter doing it all mostly. That's crazy. So it's only two of you. Well, there's, so there's me and I, I hire what I call the, the lead reporter or the main reporter. Um, but we do it all. And, and we have, I have an ads person who, who does the advertising and then, um, one other person who, does the billing and the books and kind of, it kind of fields calls and stuff. But uh, yeah, I do most of the, uh, I do a layout quite often. I do advertising. I build ads um, from any given week. It's just, it can change. And I deliver the newspapers to the stores and take photographs and it's like a Swiss army knife. So what do you think has been the most important or one of the most important stories the paper has covered while you've been there? I think, uh, Probably the story I wrote about Carl Ward, who was a longtime Haynes resident. He came working for the Presbyterian Church and uh, really distinguished himself within the community over the decades. He started out um, uh, in the place called the Haynes House, which he had like native orphans living with him, boys, and then he became a teacher. 
became active in the Boy Scouts, became a principal, a superintendent eventually, very well respected uh, until it came out. And kind of, it was sort of like an open secret for a long time, but he was sexually abusing boys um, throughout his decades in Haynes. And uh, to a, year, a little over a year ago, a man here committed suicide. And in his video, his suicide video, um, basically said that Carl Ward had abused him. And it set off this sort of um, string of, of rumors and talk in town. And I started talking to people and finding out the truth behind it and eventually found, I think it was five men in town who came forward with their experiences with him, you know? And uh, I just talked to as many people as I could, former school board members, friends, uh, teachers, and just tried to get at the heart of the story and just bring it to light. Because for many people, it had been um, kind of like an open secret, you know? It was just never really talked about. It was kind of understood that that had happened. What was that process like going through and talking to all those victims and all those people that kept that secret? Well, I was new to town and I didn't know anything about that, about the secret <clears throat> or about Carl Ward or anything. Um, but it just, I, I went to the museum <clears throat> and they have a really nice museum here that has a great record of this town's history. And I pulled out old yearbooks when he was a teacher and um, looked at the, who was on the basketball team. He was really active in basketball. And I just circled all the names of people I knew who were on the basketball team and just started calling them and asking them what they knew because everybody was kind of talking about it anyway because of what had happened with the suicide. And uh, eventually I think people just understood that it finally needed to come out. You know, Carl Ward's been dead for a long time, but there's men who uh, have been living this, with this for a long time and really suffered. And I think people knew that if this was exposed and the town could talk about it, it might help people. And one guy, Craig Loomis, I'm still, you know, friends with now. He gives me moose meat and stuff. He was the first guy to come forward to me and talk to me about it. And he was adamant in the story that I give his cell phone number out, you know, uh, to anybody who wanted to call him and talk to him about it. Cause he sure did have a hard time dealing with it. You know, it was angry. And, and I think that, that story was really great because it, I think a lot of people who, you know, never came forward, but maybe were victims of Carl Ward's had a, uh, a place to talk about it and know that they weren't alone. That was a really good, important story. You know, what's interesting about that to me is that it took an outsider like yourself to come in and write about that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I could have done that if there wasn't that inciting incident, you know, mm -hmm. but maybe, maybe because I was, I was new and people didn't know what to think to, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't want to like, I want to give all the credit to the, the guys who um, came forward and, and, you know, talked about what happened. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> and I guess what I'm, I'm just thinking of, what happened in, in Boston with the Catholic Church and how it was an open secret for so long. And you had this new guy come in, Marty Barron, and he looked at the old clips in the Boston Globe and he's like, I think we need to look more into this. And he was an outsider. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes it takes a fresh perspective, a fresh way of looking at things, you know. Because I'm sure you just, you live in a town long enough, you start to uh, accrete these um, filters or, or the way you look at the world here, you know, and you become more set in your ways, I suppose. So coming into it fresh probably gave me a, a, good, a good way to look at the story and approach it. Did you see it having any specific effect on the town? Oh, I think so. Yeah, they, they addressed it at the assembly level and came up with a new policy to uh, name things because the, the gym at the school was named after Carl Ward. 
and uh, the the mayor um, read a pretty heartfelt and emotional statement at a, at a meeting, and uh, I mean, it changed policy. It changed the way people talk about it now. You know. Mm-hmm. So after all this, after you moving to Haynes, after your journey to Haynes, do you feel like you've set roots there? Yeah, I think, I think so. Um, I, I, I like the lifestyle that Haynes provides. I've met some, some good people here. Uh, I like the idea of contributing to a small community. I like uh, when I moved to Petersburg, I started to see the value of, of living in a small town and, um, it just felt good to be, to be in a place where you can have a cross section of friends of different ages and, um, different, you know, you, you can become a part of something and you feel like, I mean, it reminded me a little bit of being in the army. You're, you're a part of a small group of people who are in something together. And that's kind of why I like being in a small town here. Uh, Haynes is a little bit different. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's a bit different, but, uh, it's challenging. It's more challenging here. Uh, but I, I definitely, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. Mm-hmm. I don't, you asked me and if this was a stepping stone to something else. And I, I don't think so. I think if I was going to change anything, I'd probably just go back to being a reporter somewhere. <laughs> Cause I, one of the hardest things about this job is being is managing people, and uh, one one of the things I, I thought le- least about when I considered buying a newspaper. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something that I don't know if it was a hard realization, but it was an absolute realization for me. Um, doing crude, I've had to do everything. You know, like you said, you're you're delivering the paper, you're uh, working on uh, formatting and outline for the newspaper. You know, I've done that since 2013 for crude and since i've decided to completely focus my energy to the podcast it's been so much easier you know i can actually focus on the journalism i can focus on my questions and you know the editing process and you know getting ready for the conversation rather than okay today <laughs> i'm making an outline for this article. So I've simplified, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm, yeah, that's great. It's, uh, there's a, there's a book I read recently called deep work that you'd probably really like. Uh, but it's about like being able to focus on one thing and, and really hitting it hard for, you know, just a few hours, mm-hmm. um, and how valuable that is. And yeah, it's tough when you're, you know, in a small office with a bunch of ringing phones and people needing all these different things. And, you got to put the paper out. But I think that there's there's massive worth in that because you're a jack of all trades. You know, um, having, speaking for myself, having uh, done all that stuff, you know, layout and um, sales and things like that, I know how it works. You know, so I, I see how the pudding's made. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. No, I've learned, you know, I had to learn how to do design layout. Uh really fast because on Wednesday deadline, as soon as I'm finished writing the stories, I got to go lay out the paper. And I think I meant to say, see how the sausage is made. Oh yeah. There you go. That's <laughs> <better>. <laughs> I was like, Hmm, pudding. Pudding. Is that a new one? <laughs> a little, some p- powder and water or something. <laughs> Instant mix. Instant mix. <laughs> okay. So, I remember back in 2017 when I was at the Anchorage Press, you came in kind of old school style to see if there was any work you could do, freelance or maybe something more long term. If I remember correctly, you were doing short political pieces and you would also send in these uh, these awesome satirical pieces that I liked. Um Earlier today, we were talking on Facebook, and you said you've thought about doing a special edition of the Chilcat Valley News that's all satire. I have thought about that. I mean, writing that satire for the Anchorage Press was some of the most fun I've ever had in terms of, you know, writing for uh, for a publication. Because mm-hmm. you can just be creative, and you're still kind of looking at issues, and you're just you're doing them in your own way. I mean, obviously, it's not news, 
but it, it does speak to a truth. You know, you're still and you and, and if it's a good piece of satire, you're, you're getting at some truth there. And, uh, you know, the onion has been one of my favorite things to read. I just think it's so refreshing. You know, you're hit over the head with all this, this state pol, you know, or national politics and definitely state politics too. And it's so heavy all the time. And then you can read an onion article and laugh and still feel like you were informed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so God, yeah, that was so fun. Um, and I guess doing that for the Anchorage press, you know, it was easy to do that cause I didn't own the, the place or it wasn't on me if somebody got pissed off and wanted to call the publisher <laughs> here, here, here I'm, I'm, I, it's been a little over two years now and I guess I'm just still trying to, I think I, I've thought about, I did a reader survey one time and, um, asked, you know, asked people to rank what they wanted or, or what they would want to see more of. And I put humor and satire in there just to see, and it was the least ranked uh, so that gave me pause to want to do it. But, you know, I thought maybe, maybe it'd be better as a column. I, I've, I've experimented just thinking about how I could incorporate it into the newspaper, maybe, maybe doing a column or something. And, uh, I just haven't pulled the trigger on it. So what kind of stuff would you poke fun at? That's see, that's the thing. I think that's why it's hard in hands is because you don't want to, it could easily just get really personal here. Mm-hmm. You know, when I wrote a satire, you know, piece of Anchorage or Anchorage press about like roller derby or, you know, a state Senator or something like it's less personal here. If I do a satire piece about an assembly member or something, that's like, you know, that's different. And so I'd have to, if you, I, it wouldn't be good satire if it was just too watered down. So I don't want to do something that's just kind of, Watered down. So I just, I guess I just have to figure out how to do it in the way that's, isn't going to make somebody feel bad, I guess. It could just be something absolutely outlandish. I mean, you can go that route. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was, I guess I had one uh, satire idea that there was a time when assembly meetings were just going like three hours, three and a half hours. They were just taking a very long time. And uh, I think one of the headlines was, that I can, I, I have written a few satire stories just for myself here. It's kind of mm-hmm. like an outlet to blow off steam, but something like the headline was something like police search for hour long debate after entire assembly and crowd found asphyxiated in assembly chambers. Or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. You know, I think that pretty much does it for my questions. Um, actually, you know what? I wrote this down when you were talking about writing a book you know, and how you said that, you know, maybe, how did you put it that you not, it wasn't that you couldn't do it, but it was that. I didn't quite know what I wanted to say beyond Mm -hmm. what I'd already said. So do you think you have it in you now to write a book? I think, I think I'm getting closer and, uh, I have written some essays lately. Um, I think it's something I do want to pursue. I haven't talked to that agent in a couple of years. I don't even know. But anyway, I, I think I have avenues and I do think that I, I, I do want to pursue something like that. Um, and I'm, I've got a little more confidence. I guess I didn't have the confidence uh, a few years ago, but as I've gotten older and more experienced and this job especially is like, I've grown a lot in the past couple of years doing this, but I, I do think I have maybe a little bit more, more idea of what I'd want to write about, what I'd have to say. And I think it would go beyond just my military experiences too. So you've learned a lot at the Chilcat Valley News. Do you care to drop some gems on me? Oh, uh, God, I wish I had something more insightful to say. Uh, You know, I've learned, I think maybe one of the most important things I've learned is uh, how valuable humility is. I have made so many mistakes and if you don't face up to them and don't accept them and don't accept yourself for, you know, screwing up a lot, uh, you'll go crazy. And in just the same way that I can see my own flaws and see where I made mistakes, hopefully I can, you know, give that grace to other people too, because we're all kind of screwed up. And uh, yeah, 
taking this thing on, this newspaper on and, and being solely responsible for it. And, you know, even if somebody else makes a mistake, it's, it's on me, you know, you have to take ownership and it's just taught me the value of humility and also giving other people that, uh, that same thoughtfulness that we're screwed up. We make mistakes, we do our best, I guess. We're all a little stupid and we're all a little smart, right? We're all a little stupid and we're all a little smart. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, great, man. This is, this has really been great talking to you. You too, Cody. For more information about how you can support local grassroots journalism, go to www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Music was produced by Alcoda Beats.